Welcome to the worst nightmare of all. Reality. Explore the lesser-known stories of our unknown world. Join the pursuit of the paranormal with Ash and Greg. Hey Ash, how's it going? Happy Monday. Yeah, I'm melting in this heat. Yeah, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, it's down. I'm down south and it's been 29 degrees and 30 degrees over the weekend. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's crazy. Crazy. And it, we're not built for this weather. We are definitely not built for this weather. It, so you um you live in a city, I live in a town. Cities warmer? I imagine they probably are. I know London, for example. You go to London, it's even hotter. But I don't know. I never thought about It's the kind of thing I think <laughs> about. Maybe. It's the kind of thing I think about. If there's more people, more yeah. yeah, more stuff going on, so it could be hotter. Yeah, it could be. Less space for air to move. Exactly. Exactly. Possibly. More people. Yeah. But, yeah, so apart from the weather, I know there's not a great deal... <laughs> else happening in the world apart from freedom day which took place today for anybody listening uh it's been dubbed yeah. freedom day so i saw so my mask at work all day yeah i went to sainsbury's earlier and um yeah i was one of the 50 percent of people wearing their masks so yeah we got nothing's changed at my work so we're we're all all keeping covid compliance still even though we don't have to so but yeah no interesting times ahead i know we've had a weird couple of well a weird 12 16 months so it'll be interesting to see what happens over the the coming months but um on that note so over the last few weeks and months we've had people talking about paranormal experiences we've had ufo experiences we've had bigfoot experiences we've had all sorts of people on and this week is no exception we have dave hodron and gary hesseltine talking about isa so what what's isa yeah, so isa is uh, recently launched in the past Two months, I believe. Uh, Gary tells me about that, but Gary Hesseltine is the uh, the vice president of the whole organization. It's like a global group, and it stands for the International Coalition for Extraterrestrial Research. Cool. Um, so basically, it's how it sounds. It's representatives from different countries, and they're combining their efforts for like a worldwide approach to the phenomena. Really, yeah. I know Dave is the vice president or the vice deputy for the uk contingent gary is the vice president of the group organization and the sort of head of the uk side of it whereas and dave who's been on the show before mm-hmm. uh, talking about screen memories yes uh, a couple of months ago it's a fascinating episode he yeah, um, he's the deputy for britain um does some of his history and his, the amount of work that mm-hmm. he's done and like you find out when we talk to him but the they both have a strong belief that it, a lot of these sightings are extraterrestrial. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is the main focus of the, the ISA group. Yeah, so we had a really good chat with them, um, and they let us know exactly what, what work they're doing. Um, so, yeah, everybody sit back, relax, and have a listen. And as always, we'd welcome your thoughts. Enjoy. 
Well, thank you, Dave and Gary, for joining us. Uh, great to have you on the show. Welcome back, Dave. Right. Been a guest on the show before. Yep. Glad to be back. Um, so the main reason why I've got you two on is a, a recently launched organisation that's called ICER, I-C-E-R, which Gary is the vice president of, as well as being the UK sort of lead, and Dave is the assistant for the UK. Uh, Gary, do you want to tell us a bit of the background to ICER, really, and how that all came about? Uh, it began really three years ago um, in China, believe it or not. Um, okay. There was a Chinese initiative, uh, and Roberto Panotti from Italy and Don Schmidt from the USA were approached to go to China to meet with a Chinese UFO group. They went three times, uh, and then uh, in the course of that, they were asked if they could try to get 30 countries together. Uh, 30 countries being something that the UN would recognise as a world body at some right. point. So that was the basic idea. Uh, from there, they said, we're going to hold a joint Russian-Chinese uh, uh, meeting, uh, conference in Moscow in October 2018. Uh, and Don, asked, Don Smith asked me to go, so that's where I became involved. Uh, so I was one of the first people, but Don and Roberta were first. We went to Moscow, met with this Chinese group, UFO group, and uh, sat down for three days of talks with them. And at the end of it, we basically said, we will go away and try to create as many countries as we can. Uh, and we've, we uh, kind of believed that it was uh, a semi-official, because whilst nobody ever said uh, where the funding was coming from all of this, uh, to there was basically the hint that nothing happens in China without the authorities knowing. So we weren't quite sure. But anyway, we said, as a show of good faith, you say that you were really going to back this, so we want to see the proof of that. So we said, OK, might, uh, however many people we get to China in February of 2019. And they said, yeah, OK. February came and went, nothing happened. Uh, and then we basically began to think something's gone wrong in China. We never really were told what it was. But basically nothing happened. We said we'll give you until October of 2019, which was the anniversary of that first Moscow conference. Uh, that came and went. And then we basically concluded that for whatever reason, the Chinese had backed out. We didn't know why. But by then we'd got probably 19 or 20 countries involved. Uh, with national representatives willing to get involved in this coalition. So basically we sat on our thumbs for a bit, uh, wondering what we should do. And then obviously the lockdown hit in March of 2020, months dragging by. And then one of the strange upturns from the pandemic, pandemic and there aren't many, is that everybody started to use Zoom and talk to each other to stay in contact. And so it like very quickly shifted into that. That's the only way you can see and talk to people. So from there, I suddenly said in June, I'm going to take out a Zoom Pro account and I'm going to see if we can start organising and seeing if people want to press ahead and see if we can do something on our own. Uh, and so basically that's what I did. I started calling people who were originally agreeable to the idea and then it quickly took off and we started holding meetings, various types of working groups 
Uh, and quickly we, we found ourselves with a good 25 and then we built uh, 27 at the moment by the time of the launch. And I can tell you now that tomorrow we'll be announcing two more countries have joined us, which will be national representatives for Switzerland and for uh, France. So we will be now 29 countries on five continents. And we're obviously looking for more. We launched on the 25th of May. And our remit is basically to say the world needs to look at this as a global phenomenon, not just American-centric. Uh, yeah. There is only one human race, and this affects all countries. Uh, UA UAP, UFOs, I still like UFOs. Uh, it's much more sexy a term. Uh, UFOs are still seen all over the world, uh, in every country pretty much. And so we want to come to the table and say, look, with the US... Uh, program going the way it's going and further open research and hopefully more transparency less stigma that you should be looking at the what if question now so what if down a years down the line the various research that the u.s navy army air force are now going to get involved in say actually it is uh, something beyond our technology it is either extraterrestrial or non-human well, we think that that would create a big, massive psychological brick wall if suddenly, after 75 years of being lied to, suddenly they say, actually, there is something to this. Well, the, the press are just kind of waking up to the fact that they have been lied to for a good 70 years. And they're still in a bit of a halfway house, as I call it, where you can see that they're having a bit of a difficulty getting their heads around this sub subject in terms of treating it seriously. And we've kind of estimated that realistically the media and the public probably know less than 5% of the true evidential history of this subject. So that's a massive thing to get over. And hence why the press, I think, personally would like it all to be foreign adversary because they can get their head around that dead easy. Trouble is, history says that it's not foreign adversary because basically for the last 70 years, the things that have been seen now are moving in the same way that they were in the 40s and 50s. So that quickly rules out foreign technology. So that's basically where we are. We want to look at it, the what-if situation. We want to create awareness programs to deal with that now. So we're planning educational awareness programs to all sectors of society in each of our 29 countries to say, look, government, you've got to start taking this serious. I know you've been lied to. I know the press have been lied to, but this is coming. The cat is out the bag, the videos will let the genie out of the bottle because for the first time the media could go, what is that? They had something tangible to look at and question politicians and say, what is that? What is that, Mr. Colonel? How do they know that there is a story? And that's where we're at. So ISA wants to come to the global table and say, come on, we really should be sitting around as adults now. Let's get rid of the stigma finally, have an adult conversation, and let's start looking at this as a global issue. Cool. Uh, that sounds sounds amazing. <laughs> uh, quick, quick issue there, um, but the what's interesting is the E in ISA. So ISA stands for the International Coalition for Extraterrestrial Research. Um, so the E is extraterrestrial. Yeah. So as a organisation, do you believe that what Absolutely. is being seen is extraterrestrial? Basically, Dave, do you want to answer that along the oath? Basically, 
Yeah, yeah. Essentially, an oath we all signed uh, when we uh, joined ISA, and uh, when I became the uh, deputy representative for the United Kingdom, and signed the uh, official oath. And this is what brings us together. This is what is uh, so strong about ISA, and something that's never been done before. So we've all signed an, an oath, and that oath essentially states that the um, the subject is real. Uh, these these things act with intelligence and they are more than likely extraterrestrial or non-human in origin. And we've included the non-human in there for uh, other possibilities such as extra dimensional. But the important thing is that we're working with uh, there's other intelligences, non-human intelligences involved in this subject. Uh, my personal view, I would say, leans more towards the extraterrestrial than the other origins. But yeah. Uh, everybody has their own personal opinions. There are many un unanswered questions. Uh, we don't pretend to have all the answers, but we're we're trying to to move this into the wider public and raise awareness on this very important subject. And I think that's what um, that's really what ISA stands for, and that's why I'm really proud to be a part of it. Excellent. And like you say, you got it'd be soon to be 29 countries involved. And he said, like a lot of time, a lot of the stuff we hear is just America. You don't hear too much about your other countries. And it's from the sounds of it, it wasn't too difficult to get a lot of countries involved. So is there a lot going on around the world that we just don't hear about? So I would say yes and no. Uh, what you've got to understand is that the phenomena is worldwide, as we pretty much well know. Uh, and various countries have totally different attitudes. So you go to, say, South America, and I've lectured there several times in Brazil. And uh, Now, can you imagine this as a juxtaposed... Uh, to the UK. I've been at a conference in Brazil where there was a Uruguayan colonel in uniform attending a UFO conference and a Brazilian general attending a Brazilian conference in uniform. Now, could you imagine that in the UK or the United States? Uh, it's completely laughable. But that just shows you that other countries, uh, in particular South American countries, are far more open to the idea of extraterrestrial origin. And, for example, uh, our Brazilian uh, national representative is A.J. Javad, who's lectured in the UK. I've had him over at the conference in my uh, magazine conference in Holmfirth. But A.J. Javad, uh, one of the, his private things that he does every year that most people don't know about is he goes off and does research down the Amazon in the obscure parts of the Amazon River and where where basically villages live next to the water. They just fish. They live off the forest. Uh, this They don't really have any um, real outside influence. They don't have the internet. They don't have TV. So they pretty much 10 miles one way and 10 miles the other way is their life their world and he has been collecting stories about ufos that the villagers have seen but they don't know how to call them they don't call them flying saucers or ufos they don't even know that terminology but they'll call them flying ovens and at first when he was said what's a flying oven and then he was shown and it was a circular pit like a saucer and that was their flying oven so it's just the language but the point is there is so much going on that we're not even aware of. But you go to uh, our um, Chilean uh, national uh, representative, is a guy called uh, Rodrigo Fuenzalenda, and he has uh, got excellent links with the Chilean military and civilian aviation industries. Uh, 
uh, we've got uh, our Argentinian national representative is a girl or lady called Andrea Simondoni. Not only does her family run an official Argentinian museum on ufology, but uh, she's actually very active and she's probably the first one to have a breakthrough with ISA in terms of uh, national level. She's already sat down with the Argentinian defence minister to talk about ISA and we'll be holding further talks about ISA and trying to prepare the public. So this is kind of where we're going. So that's just three South American examples. You go to uh, other countries like um, Czechoslovakia, well, we don't that. Well, the Czech Republic, it's not Czechoslovakia anymore. So the Czech Republic, and there is treated like you're all idiots. You know, you're all crazy. There is no traction virtually in the Czech Republic. And we have a Czech national representative. In Germany, although it's changed a little bit since the release of the DNI report, but in Germany, the German government say we don't have the UFOs, UAPs at all. And they just totally deny it, and it's almost laughed at. However, the DNI report has sparked quite a bit of media interest in the major newspapers. So, again, that's some of the ramifications of trying to lose this stigma that we've had to cope with for 60 years, all of our lifetimes. Uh, and what most people don't realise is that anybody born after 1953 has lived in a deliberate world of debunking. Because in 1953, the CIA commissioned a panel of scientists called the Robertson Panel under H.P. Robertson. And they met for two days in January 1953. And their remit was, we've got to strip the aura, the fascination the public have for flying saucers. How do we do that? So at the end of two days, they recommended that they use all forms of media to debunk the subject. So literally anybody born after 1953 has lived in an official US-led world of disinformation. And most people are totally oblivious to that. And this is all part of this evidential history that we want to start showing people in our awareness uh, courses. And we think that the way to do that first is to break people in very gently to the subject by giving them a course or various courses designed for which sectors of society, including children, basically what the real history of the subject is over the last 70 years. And then after that, you can then maybe start talking about the contact phenomenon, the abduction phenomenon. And then maybe after that, you then can talk about enlightenment, consciousness and things like that. But you can't go straight to that as a lot of people within this subject want. They go, oh, talk about contact straight away. Well, it's such a big leap for most people to make. Just the mere fact that the the real, that is going to be a big breakthrough. So that's going to cause some mental health issues like the pandemic did with lockdown. People cooped up for long periods. Now, you've got to understand that people, when they finally get told, yeah, we are probably dealing with something that's extraterrestrial, non-human, they're not going to run to the hills like Orson Welles broadcast War of the Worlds in 1938. We've gone beyond that. But some people, it will be psychologically very challenging. And I do think there will be mental health issues if nobody takes the trouble to start preparing people for what will be the biggest paradigm shift in human history. Because everybody says, 
that as and when contact is acknowledged, that it will be the most profound moment in human history. So that's what we're on the precipice of. And at the moment, nobody's doing anything about it to prepare people. Now, you mentioned, um, just going back slightly, that the media in the UK, like the, the press, essentially are warming up to the idea a little bit. And then you mentioned about South America being quite open, uh, certainly the military side of it being quite open. How does the press view it in South America? Are they, are they more open and non-judgmental about UFOs? It varies, uh, varies from country to country. For example, we've got uh, Peru which is a rich, huge, rich uh, history in terms of the like ancient Ellen culture and lost cultures. Fascinating country in that regard, but in the press, they're quite backward in Peru. So our Peruvian national representative has a hard time. But that's not to say that that will stay like that. And I mm -hmm. tend to think that what will happen is if there was an admission in six months' time, yes, it's ET, stroke and human, then all countries are going to go, What? You told us there was nothing to it. And then they're going to go, it's real. And then they're going to go, oh, best do something about that. And they'll be late to the party, but they will eventually have to start addressing the issue. And that's where ISRA will come along and say, look, we can help you with that. Well, now, you've got to realise that ISRA is in it for the long haul. We're not for profit. Uh, we're an international uh, NGO. Um, we're registered in Portugal, so we're a proper organisation. We're not a UFO group. We're not collecting case reports per se. We've gone beyond that because we're saying after 70 years, the evidence says that this is real. We're dealing with real things flying around in certainly the USA, but all over the world. And we need to start looking at this from probably an extraterrestrial non-human issue point of view. Um, but the world is far behind that and everybody looks to America on this topic virtually because they have dominated the subject from the 1940s, probably because of Roswell, which I believe was a real crash of a real UFO that was recovered. And I think that made them the most dominant nation on the earth. And anybody who's ever said anything different will say that whoever owns or is able to recreate that technology that's a massive leap in the future would be the most dominant nation on the earth. And I think that's basically what happened. Uh, we can go down the line of saying is the reverse engineering, probably. We can go down the line of saying other things like TR3B. Well, according to some people, no. Some people, yes. Are the... U.S. authorities ever going to tell us what they've been working on for the last 70 years? Probably not. But if we can now at least have a starting gun where it's a new start of transparency, uh, and let's just see where we go from here, that would be enough for me for them just to say, yes, we are dealing with something. And that's why ISA officially says we want more transparency. We want more scientific study. Uh, and certainly the latest developments with the Army, Navy and the Air Force Corps in all the same forms together, reporting procedures together, this sounds like it's a first serious attempt at doing it properly. Now, we know that in the past there were Project Sign, Grudge, Blue Book, and there's been various other little projects in the past, but they were never really done properly, and they usually were just a public relations exercise. Now, hopefully because of those three Fleur videos that came out in 2017, the cat is out of the bag. You can never put that genie back in. 
because they don't, they're saying we don't know what those are and they're moving in ways. And in the DNI report, it said 18 cases showed basically technology we don't have. We can't, not even invented yet. Uh, but they didn't want to ever mention the word extraterrestrial. They did not want to, word to mention the word alien. So you've got to read between the lines. But if you know the subject, it was a big seismic leap forward because it basically said we are going to start to do this technologically, uh, resource it more properly. And it's a serious issue, even though they're framing it as an air safety issue, which technically it is. If something's in your airspace and you don't know what it is, then technically that is an air safety threat. So I can live with that. If it gets this issue, get rid of the stigma and let's have all the data. But the more and more that, uh, especially the Navy uh, ship, all the incidents around the Omaha, the swarming of the ships, those kind of things, the more and more that data is analysed uh, and the, the, uh, the pilot reports are analysed, uh, the more ISA is confident that it will be too big a leap of technology that they're going to have to admit actually it's not ours it's it's somebody else's and don't forget louise elizondo said on the 60 minutes program that we're dealing with something that flies at thirteen thousand miles an hour and can pull 600 to 700 g's doesn't have a wings no tail no control services no propulsion system so that's what we're dealing with and, and i think he said it was something between 50 and a thousand years leap in technology so this is not next generation so if we think of it in those terms that's why it's going to quickly go from foreign adversary down the line of unknown you've mentioned the dni report there a couple of times you're the director of national intelligence otherwise known as the pentagon uap report yep um, i know i've seen a couple of interviews of yourself gary uh, where you've been you i know you're quite happy with what's on there you said like now about it's a it's it's a good thing we got the gonna be doing it properly basically. Yeah. Uh, Dave, I just wanted to ask you because I don't really uh, spoke to you about it since the report came out. What was your response to the uh, to that report? Yes. Um. Yeah, mixed really. I mean, I can see the, the definite plus points of it. You know, their their confirmation that there are things that they are that they can't currently explain, and the confirmation that it's a serious issue that they need to look into. That is absolutely great. You know, it's acknowledgement by them that they're going to be moving forward with this and looking more in depth into these uh, into these cases. And they were talking not just about the uh, the ones that we've had the release videos from, way more cases than that that they've got that we haven't even seen any of this information yet. Now, that was one of the uh, bad points for me of the report was the, the lack of actual case details released. I think that many of us in the community were really looking forward to um, perhaps seeing some other cases as strong as, uh, say, the Nimitz incident uh, and seeing the full details of those and what had happened and we didn't get any of that and I think that that's kind of really so that they can control uh, where they go with this uh, the, the the other problem for me is the lack of timelines with it involved so they didn't say by this date we're going to release this information or we're going to show you the next step where we got to now they're already in discussion with moving to those next steps and there's already rumors about uh, you know potential dates of where they may be doing follow-on reports and everything so it certainly looks like behind the scenes that things are moving and we're, we're hoping to get further public announcements about how much of that is kept hidden and uh, classified and how much of that they decide to re release is obviously down to them, really. 
So I don't think it's as open as uh, as I would have liked it to be or as in-depth. But I think overall, uh, as as Gary says, I think that overall it's, it's positive. Uh, the views that have come from this, I know that some people uh, in the community especially uh, have uh, probably reacted very, very negatively to it because they wanted it to be, wow, this is it, this is real. And they wanted them to officially acknowledge that, you know, we've been visited and that, you know, that didn't happen. But they're very, very cautious with it. They're taking little steps step by step and uh, we're, we're hoping as, as Gary says we're hoping that um, going forward we will get an announcement where they will come forward and say something along the lines of okay we've now analyzed the data and we genuinely don't believe this to be foreign tech we think that you know cer certain cases that we've got just uh, are far too advanced for that uh, in other words acknowledging that it's from outside that it, not that it's still needs to the alien word but they, they can acknowledge that it involves an intelligence, a non-human intelligence of some kind. And uh, that, yeah, that's a massive can of worms. That's the statement. That's the crux. That's the, that's the turning point and for everything. Can I just... Uh, and that's what we're working towards. Because don't forget, what we know is that the classified version was some 70-odd pages, but with 14 videos that lasted in total 40 minutes. That's what we're told. And apparently some of the senators, the hairs on the back of their necks mm -hmm. went up when they saw these videos. In the last few days, Luis Elizondo has been on a podcast where he said that one of the videos was 23 minutes long. The mind boggles. He's already said on many occasions that he has seen footage in broad daylight against a blue sky of an object flying within 50 feet of the cockpit of an F-18. Now, it, I think the pressure will grow through the likes of John Greenwald and FOIs, he's an expert in FOI, to say, well, look, you can take away all the data on the screen, but we want to see that footage because there should be no reason why you can't see this footage. They're trying to say, well, we, we, we're keeping it because it will reveal our, how we recorded it. We'll cut all that bit out. But let's just see what's in the centre of that picture. And that's what would be happy. Uh, and I think eventually that something like that will happen. I think the reason why the, of the 200, uh, the 144 cases is because, and as I understand it, all of the 143 cases that were unknown have happened since 2019. Wow, they didn't specify that, but latest information from the likes of Elizondo and that Chris Berlin are saying these are all from 2019. So if there's 143 military pilots who don't know what they're looking at with all the sophisticated might of America's technology, there is something seriously awash somewhere. And that was the biggest thing that stood out for me, that 143 pilots could not identify what they're looking at. And that's pretty mind-boggling if you put it in that context, uh, because they pretty much should know what everything is in the sky. Uh, and they're certainly well aware of normal phenomena, atmospheric phenomena, temperature inversions, you know, anything like that, balloons or whatever. So the fact that 143 didn't, couldn't identify what it was, I think is a big, big thing. And I suspect that's why they didn't go down the line of releasing date, time, where, who it was involved. Because all that would have happened is everybody would have, every man and his dog would have said, 
put in an FOI request for that incident, that incident, 143 incidents, 143 FOIs, and then oof, we're bogged down in this. And we're, you know, some of these incidents might be pretty juicy. So I tell you what, we'll just say they're unidentified at this stage. So I think, as Elizondo has said on several occasions, it's a process. And this is an early report. And don't forget, Rubio said that before, that it's likely to be an interim report, which it kind of is, because they've already said they wanted another 90 days. But at the moment, it's only going to be for another classified briefing. Well, I think there'll be huge clamour from the media to say, hang on a minute, you've got to give us something. You can't just keep us dangling. I think that some of the world's press now won't realise that there is a major story here. And you've seen some excellent articles in places where you wouldn't normally see the subject being talked about. So that shows you how the stigmas have been lifted. So if you think about that, I think that they will start to say, that's not good enough. And if they try to say, oh, we've, uh, we have uh, uh, identified 144 cases now, then I think the press are going to go, prove it. Show us how you did that. Otherwise, you could just be lying to us like you have been for the last 70 years. So that's kind of where I'm hoping the press will start to do a job that they've never done before. There's two ways you can look at the press. You can say they've either been complicit for 70 years or they've been a victim for 70 years. If we say that they're being complicit, they'll not talk to us. They'll take the bat and ball home. Or if we say, all right, you've been a victim, then hopefully they'll work with us for the benefit of getting this over the line. So we've got to really go down the line of saying you're a victim it, to achieve anything, I think. But I'm hoping that they really start to put pressure. As And, and, and uh, again, if ISA can get onto American TV, which we're hoping to, the more we get more, I mean, this is this is our setup phase, which may take six months a year to make us globally known. It's going to be very difficult just to walk, you know, announced on the 25th of May. Here we are. You know, we didn't know what to expect. And we're going to have to earn our place at the table, at the top table. But I'm confident we can do that. But once we get there, I think people, if we were to get on, say, Tucker Carlson, who's always covered the UFO topic with millions of followers, then that overnight could mean that millions of us know about ISIS straight away. And that's what we're striving for, is to get to that top table where we're a, a, tr a truly global, internationally recognised voice. But that might take a long time. But that's what we're working towards. And I think that once we achieve that, and I'm confident we will achieve that, then we're really starting to talk to governments I think I think we'll start to get a lot more traction so I'll go a quick question so ufology is not my strong section of of the podcasting um, I'm more down the paranormal route and I found the the report uh, really eye-opening and I, I thought it was really positive um, especially for like the the lay person who doesn't mm -hmm. deeply have a, an interest um, and you mentioned about being lied to over the last sort of 70 odd years. Um, so you look back at some of the big UFO cases like Roswell and you've got things like Rendlesham that people stick, stick in people's heads as significant moments in the UFO sort of history. Do you think um, as we go forward that the Nimitz and the Tic Tac stuff will be one of the defining moments? I think it already is. Of disclosure. 
I think yeah. it already is uh, because that original Fleur One Sweet. video yeah. was mm -hmm. the Tic Tac. That has changed the goalposts enormously because don't forget the, the gimbal and the go fast were uh, later videos. So the only one from 2004 was the Nimitz. And what made the Nimitz so good is that the USS Princeton, Kevin Day, uh, Gary Voorhees, who had gone on the record, Kevin Day saying we were tracking objects for two weeks in clusters of five, ten objects coming down from 80,000 feet down to 50 feet above the water in 0.8 of a second. Ooh, and stop it. Now, the tremendous G-forces in that, if that data is released for scientific scrutiny, that's mind-boggling, but it's all good for ISA because mm -hmm. we're confident that the more, the more data is released, the more it's going to prove the technology is way beyond ours. But what's really good is now we're talking about, we're not talking about swamp gas anymore. We're not talking about Venus anymore. We're not talking about misidentification anymore. We're talking about structured craft in the United States airspace. And the question is, who made them and what do they want? So that's a huge, big, big mm -hmm. moment. And that has only come about because of the release of those three videos. We would not be having this discussion now without those three videos. It's changed everything. It's the genie out of the bottle. Yeah, I think, and uh, following on from that, I think uh, I think one of the things that makes the Nimitz uh, case particularly impressive is it's got so many elements to it. You've got the uh, US Princeton uh, radar tracking these objects for periods of time, and they switched off the radars. Yeah, so anybody who says it was a radar malfunction, they had it off multiple ships. Oh, they had it yeah, checked. They reset the yeah. radars, and they were still on there, showing mm -hmm. that there wasn't a radar malfunction. So uh, you know they're tracking them, and then they eventually get one and they send up you know, a training exercise to send up numerous numerous pilots so it's not just observed by one pilot it's four pilots two pilots and two wingmen uh, all saw it uh, you've got a, a, a close encounter with this object it's physically seen and then it and also one of the most fascinating aspects of the Nimitz case is that it shot away into the distance and left them in their dust trails and they just left there. And a moment later, they get a call uh, saying that it's turned up at their cap point, which is a, a pre-planned location, a rendezvous, where they were supposed to be heading to. Now, that implies that it was monitoring them and, and knew one way or another, you could look at it various ways, but it shows direct intelligence. Absolutely. Uh, which is an incredible aspect of that particular incident. And I think that you can look at one particular aspect and you can say, oh, they might, might have been mistaken. But the whole thing together with all these different elements to it, the uh, the pilots, the pilot's testimony, I think, is very, very compelling. Uh, you know, I've seen the pilots speak um, openly uh, about it numerous times and they come across as, uh, as very genuine, uh, very genuine experiences. And I, I think it's an absolutely stunning incident. Especially where, when Favreau uh, went on the 60 Minutes programme and, in his, and he said it in a way that he hadn't said it before. He said, he went down, one aircraft stayed above, he went down to investigate and as he's spiralling down, this thing suddenly turns, looks up at him and starts mimicking his spiral up as he's spiralling down. This is incredible intelligence mimicking the movements of the F-18. Uh, so this is incredible. And one of the mysteries of the, uh, well, there are a few, because we we only see the object shooting out of the screen veering off, off camera. But who's to say that the footage was not longer? 
and there is some suggestion that there was something like a 10-minute version of it that the likes of Gary Voorhis saw, uh, and he said he saw it in HD on the ship. And then everybody's saying, no, 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 that, there's no better copy. But he's saying, yeah, we saw better copies. And obviously, I'm sure, absolutely certain, there are better copies. And and uh, Elizondo said, you know, yeah, they're grainy, but there are much better copies out there. The question is, how much does... Obviously, Elizondo knows a lot more, because he's seen a lot more. Uh, but he's, he's, he's cautious to say... I don't want to talk about stuff that the government might, might want to announce. He's hoping that they'll announce it themselves, but they're probably not going to do that. So it'll be interesting to see what happens moving forward. But there is so much more to come out, and uh, I, I don't think it will be long. And the other thing as well is a couple of months ago, maybe six weeks ago, Jeremy Corbell said he'd been sent 20 videos. And he was checking them out. And the only one that is released since uh, was that new one with the the last one that he's put out with the two objects and then the object flying above it that may or may not be an aircraft. Um, so he said he was checking them out for authenticity. But is he going to start drip feeding these if they are all authentic? All of his stuff so far seems to be genuine Navy stuff. So whether he's got a leak or whatever, but I think there will be a lot more to come out. And hopefully the press can really start to put pressure on. Well, a lot of the talk here has been about the, the military side of it. On the UAP report, when the Pentagon talks uh, exclusively, it's about military sensors. It's these incursions into military training areas and military airspace by the training. Um, and it basically doesn't have any mention of anything before 2004 and anything civilian. So do you think the focus has to be on these military with the, obviously the sensors and the way that they've got, or should the UAP task force or whoever still take on civilian reports and take that into account with this phenomenon? Dave, you uh, yeah, well, I, th I think the, um, they're sticking with the cases where they've got, where they can back it up with uh, with radar and sensor data. Um, and that's, I mean, you can see the, the importance in that. They're trying to verify it as much as they can. Now, a lot of civilian cases, I mean, people are seeing these things all the time all around the world, and, I've, and I regularly investigate civilian cases. The majority of the cases I've investigated over the years have been civilian-based. Uh, and there's no, there's no reason to think that they're all fabricated. You know, these things are being seen all the time. But um, I, can, I, I do understand why they're sticking with those, with those military cases because a lot of the time with the civilian cases a lot of it is based on testimonial evidence and um rather than kind of hard conclusive uh, raw data uh, and sometimes there's photographic and video evidence that backs up the uh, the testimonial evidence but uh, of course uh, the, it's very rare that you would get a civilian case that has where it's been also recorded on radar. Now, it may have been at a nearby airfield, but they're not going to release that information. And I, numerous times I've contacted Birmingham International to try to uh, get uh, data like that. And they, they usually say we haven't had any. And does that mean that they didn't or does that mean they just don't want to give it me? And this is the problem. Yeah. The, the, I, the, uh, the, there's tremendous data out there in the history like the Cometer Report and things like that. Now, an unsuspecting public don't know any of that. So again, this is another mission of ISA, is to get to that global table and say, well, 
actually you talk about threats, but we've been monitoring this and studying it for 70 years. There doesn't appear to be a, a, an all-pervasive per threat to the human race. So let's bring that threat level down. And also, we want to start talking about the history, because most people don't know anything. And it would seem that the Americans that have controlled the subject are very, very narrow-minded on this. Uh, somebody told me recently, it's quite a shocking thing, that only 10 to 20% of Americans have ever travelled abroad. And that's pretty amazing statistic if you think about how big it is. But that also might explain why they have these quite insular uh, thoughts, because they really just think, well, what, what's the point of going to anywhere else? It's such a big country, beautiful country. But what that means is that there's such a lack of information and yet America is at the seed, really, of all major cases around the world. Whenever there's a major case, the Americans turn up in some intelligence capacity. So uh, I have no doubt that there is so much more information out there. But you have to reach a level where you can start dealing at a national and international level. And that's what we're hoping to do is to, is to one, bring the threat level down to, well, three things. So bring the threat level down create awareness programs, and also say, look, let's start talking about things prior to 2004 and some of the data that has been accumulated uh, over many decades by many countries. Lots of good reports all over the world being done. Bringing it a bit back, a bit more local to the UK, I think they reiterated recently again that they've got no interest um, and they just don't have any official response to, to this subject. Uh, so quick, I guess a couple of questions on this one is, one, do you believe them? Do you think that the, they said they shut the, the, uh, the UFO desk down in 2009? Um, and one, do you believe that? And two, do you think that they will open up anything official capacity in the future? Don, Dave, you have um, got that. My, my personal belief is they, they only shut it down publicly and that they're still monitoring the situation behind the scenes. Um, I mean, the... The military complex and the, the MOD, etc. It's, it's so segregated into different departments. And with the, this subject, it's and it's going to be the same in America with the Pentagon. Um, there's going to be all sorts of little uh, little subgroups who, who know parts of the picture. And there's probably very few individuals that know the whole picture. And, you know, and you, you can see this with some of the, the people that have released information, some of the uh, testimonials that have come out over the years and leaks, uh, you know, that people see particular aspects of a thing so they might have uh, said for example they, they may say that they saw uh, a particular metal being tested that they believed to be uh, something very anomalous but they won't know any detail about where that metal came from or where it went to uh, or, uh, or who brought it them or anything and this is this is how it is it's all it's all segregated out uh, but I, I certainly believe that behind the scenes i can't i can't imagine that the uh, that the the MOD and the United Kingdom are paying no attention to the subject behind the scenes, even if they don't want to admit it. I don't know if you would, you would agree with that, Gary, or not. Uh, no, I, I do agree with that. Uh, almost certainly uh, uh, the stuff going on behind the scenes, but you've got to realise that, again, we know that because we've been following the subject, yeah. but the MOD has generally always followed the American lead, and the American lead was always to be dismissive. Now, very unusual that now that the Americans have been more transparent, that they've suddenly said, well, we're still, we're still going to be dismissive. We aren't going to do anything. And Baroness Goldie in the House of Lords said, well, there's never, nothing in 50 years that said that there's a perceived threat or actual threat 
uh, which depends on how you look at it. But if you're just looking on the air safety aspect, we know of dozens and dozens of cases over the years, over the last 50 years, that have been unidentified objects in UK airspace. Uh, and just to quote one example, just recently, uh, I, I released a, the, some saw in the Sun newspaper a video of a police helicopter footage, FLIR video footage uh, from a 2016 case that I investigated, which was bona fide police helicopter footage uh, taken by a police spotter uh, and to put it out on Twitter. Uh, bizarre, what's this, basically? Uh, and it was on the Twitter police Twitter feed, so it's definitely bona fide. Uh, and I put in FOIs and basically they stalled, but they gave me the footage, but they didn't give me any sound, no route or anything like that. So the stonewalled, but I did get the footage, which is actually about eight minutes long. Now, uh, I, I released it to the sun and they did a, an article on it, but I, they only maybe released 30 seconds, a minute of it. So I think what I'm going to do is because in a sense, it's a case I investigated. Uh, we're going to put that on the IC YouTube channel. Uh, and and then actually from there we'll we can then say from an ice perspective, well Baroness Goldie, can you please explain this footage? This is an object moving against the wind, which is admitted by the police spotter when it was originally put out, uh, moving against the wind at 120 miles an hour. Uh, it has no control surfaces. It has no wings. Uh, it can only be seen in the infrared. And there's no obviously heat signature of a propulsion system. So it's a completely unknown object, pretty crystal clear, circular would seem in appearance. Um, now, I think the position by the Minister of Defence and in particular Baroness Goldie has left herself open to criticism, which in a sense might be good for us because we're going to come back and start to explore that with a variety of cases. And what I can say is later on this year, there will be a lot of Rendlesham developments, uh, which I'm not going to go into too much now, but by the end of this year, the narrative on Rendlesham Forest should be completely different than it is now. Uh, and it's definitely talking about ET non-human as an explanation. Fascinating. So what's, what's next then for ISA and for you guys? What's I say that the next couple of months? What are the main aims and plans of the organization? Um, I'll give you a bit of an exclusive now, and I'm not going to go into really any awesome. details. And Dave's maybe not aware of this, uh, but the executive council of ISA, which are basically continental directors, the vice president, and the president, so uh, six of us, um, are actually being approached by a, uh, an African gentleman. Uh, who is uh, very well connected with other multinational NGOs um, and wants to bring this subject to Africa. Now, we're going to have a private meeting with him. We don't know what's going to come from that, but he's very, very well connected. And, uh, you know, from, from an ISIS point of view, it, it could be very good in the sense that we know very little about UFOs, UAP in the African continent. So if he has links to all many, many countries, leaders and major personnel, that could be an enormous uh, interesting venture. But we'll see. We've got to check him out, but he appears to be very, very well connected. So we're going to have a meeting about that and who knows what will come from that. So there's lots of things. There's, uh, I can also say that 
Um, uh, there is a, an entrepreneur, I won't reveal his details, uh, but um, somebody who is really uh, appreciates the global aspect of ISA, and he is wanting to text something like 10 to 12 national representatives to a world, what's called a World Congress in Barcelona in October. And he wants 10 or 12 national representatives there um, from ISA. And he really wants to say, look, this is the way forward. Uh, so we're looking at that. We're in negotiations with that. So there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes. Uh, but certainly people are beginning to, to now be aware that there is a big international organization in the offing who are doing something a bit different. But like I said, we're in our initial establishment phase, and I suspect that's going to be six to 12 months. It might be shorter if we get a breakthrough, but I'm saying six to 12 months to position ourselves properly and earn our reputation for uh, hopefully our seat at the top table. Cool. So changing the subject a little bit, uh, the last time we had you on the uh, podcast, Dave, uh, yes. you, you talked about your UFO wave card game. Yes. Uh, I believe you're only now a week or so away from the Kickstarter launch. Do you want to give us a bit more detail about that and what's uh, been in development? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, do you want me to go over the game at all or do, or should we assume that people heard all about that last time? Uh, <laughs> a, a brief synopsis. Probably. Brief synopsis. Okay. So uh, I'm, in, I'm in the middle of releasing a game, a card game, competitive card game for one to six players themed entirely on the UFO subject. It's something I've been working on a long time. Uh, it's actually, actually behind the scenes about four or five years, believe it or not. Uh, and it was only about a year ago that I announced it officially. Uh, essentially, it's a it's a fun, lightweight and uh, accessible game. I've taken it down a, a cartoony route with a fun cartoon artwork. Uh, the artwork has been done by a genuine experiencer from uh, New York. Uh, so he's done the, uh, the artwork and he's had experiences since childhood and uh, his fascination with the subject is one of the reasons why I chose him as the artist for the game. Uh, we are launching on uh, Kickstarter on Thursday the 29th of July. Now uh, for those who don't know, Kickstarter is a crowdfunding website uh, where essentially people will pledge to back the game uh, at the end of the uh, at the end of the period if if we've got enough backers, the money will be collected at that point. I will then send that money off to the manufacturer. The manufacturer will create the game and then we will ship it out to everybody. Uh, we're aiming to get the game into everybody's hands by um, early December. Uh, this year so in time for christmas that's the that's at least the plan uh so yeah it's launching at midday on 29 uh, thursday the 29th of july uh and essentially you can go to the uh, the main uh, ufo wave website which will have a link there to the uh, kickstarter page we've also got a uh, a facebook page uh and a, a very popular uh, instagram account as well uh where i've been promoting regularly so it's a, it's, a, it's a big gamble. Uh, I'm looking for uh, interest from both the uh, UFO community and the uh, and the gaming community at large. And uh, hopefully uh, we've done enough and get it, got it out there enough. Uh, it's, it's been getting superb feedback. I've, I've, uh, I've got some prototypes done of the game and they've been uh, sent around America, Canada, UK and um, even Serbia. Uh, so uh, various countries have been checking out the game, have been getting lots of very, very good positive feedback off reviewers. And these are people who aren't, in, aren't generally uh, au fait with the UFO subject. They may know a little bit and everything. But uh, yeah, the, the response has been overwhelmingly positive. So uh, fingers crossed. <laughs> Definitely. 
Excellent, excellent. Uh, Gary, you won the the uh, UFO Truth magazine. You've been doing that for quite some years. Uh, do you want to give us a bit of history and on that? 2013. 2013. Uh, do you want to give us a bit more detail about that and how, why you did a magazine? Um, basically, um, I'd been a 24-year police officer, 19 years a detective, uh, but the pressure was on me in the last few years because of my UFO research. Uh, it, when I initially started, I didn't get any interference, uh, but I was told them what I was doing. Uh, but I didn't have any interference. But by the end, I was getting a lot of interference, cutting a long story short. So I thought the writing's on the wall. They're going to make things very difficult for me. And so therefore, I'd wanted to do it anyway because I'd realised that my passion was to do full-time research. And the only way I could really do that is if I uh, if I maybe launched a magazine. So that's what I did. I, I, I retired six years early uh, and created, within a month of retiring, it created the uh, UFO easy which is www.ufotruthmagazine.co.uk and when you put this uh, podcast out uh, as a freebie for your uh, listeners if anybody says i uh, if anybody says i saw that podcast uh, gary will give you a free complimentary copy of the latest issue of the the magazine awesome. so they just need to email me at hazeltinegary at hotmail.com say they've seen the podcast and i will send them a complimentary copy uh so there you go uh, but yeah we've now been going it's bi-monthly easy goes all around the world um it features many of the top researchers uh in the world pretty much all written including uh, the likes of eric von daniken graham hancock richard dolan everybody steve bassett they've all appeared at, at one point or another um the thing is there isn't really any other you totally UFO related magazine anymore um, that's 96 pages uh, bi-monthly and uh, we're now up to issue 49 just came out which had the all of the nine pages of the uh, DNI report in full uh, but it also was the uh, launch of ISA as well so it was a twin historic uh, 49th issue um, Basically, the DNI report and uh, the backstory to the, the uh, establishment of ISA. So it's an important issue. We're obviously on the brink of 50, which is going to be out uh, at the end of, uh, I guess, August now will be when the next one's out. So, yeah, that will be our 50th issue, which is half a century. But, you know, that's took eight years. But, you know, uh, it, it's, it's well received. And, uh, you know, we don't get many bad reviews of anything. So uh, we'll keep fingers crossed that we keep going. But there you go. I enjoy doing it. And I'm, I certainly don't regret leaving the police to do this because by then I knew I wanted to do something different and uh, devote my life to it, as it were. I'd been doing it in a semi-capacity with the, the police database from 2002 onwards. But... By 2013, I'd realised that I maybe was in a position to, to try, at least to get it off the ground. And so that's what's happened. So I'm very, very fortunate to do what I do. Not many people can claim to be a full-time ufologist, so I'm very lucky. I um, wanted to say I, I, I thoroughly enjoy writing for UFO Truth magazine, uh, so I regularly uh, uh, contribute articles for that. Uh, it's a, I think it's 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great way of getting the, the informa uh, information about cases out to, uh, to the wider audience. And uh, I think one of the things I've loved about UFO Truth uh, magazine from the start is it's, it's not fence-sitting, we're coming into it from the off, that it's real. And, uh, and Yeah, that, 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 yeah. Was the, that was the actual key point of the first yes. issue. It was a magazine for people who believed that some, and I repeat the word, some UFOs were likely to be extraterrestrial. So it, laid, it nailed its colours to the mast, and most UFO magazines never do that. So we did right from the up. Awesome. So if our listeners want to find out a bit more about ISA and the work that you're doing, where can they stay up to date with, with all that? Uh, the website is isa.network, uh, and go on to there, and you'll see a, a fantastic, and I'm going to sing the praises of it because I thought it was superb, is the our launch video uh, comprised of a line of text or a line of speech being done in 14 different languages by 14 of our national representatives, all with subtitles in 14 different languages. So you watch it, it's a couple of minutes long, but it's very impressive if you've not seen it. And it shows the global nature. And that just came out of a barnstorming session where we were thinking, well, you know, we're talking about doing a, a promo video, but how do we do it? And then what do we say? And then somebody said, why do we do it in different languages? That shows our international flavour, and we all went, "Wow, that that works!" And we've had some of those. We've had some really great brainstorming uh, meetings in the working parties, uh, and we just bounce off each other, and we we often come up with some really good ideas, and that was certainly one of them. And it and it's really powerful if you've not seen it. So uh, I would recommend people to go look at that. So if you go to ISA Network you'll see that video and uh, share it fair, you know, far and wide. I don't think I um, gave the details for the uh, the game, did I? I mentioned there's a website and everything. Um, so the uh, the name of the card game is uh, UFO Wave, and the uh, the website is www.ufowavegame.com. Uh, and our, our Facebook group is UFO Wave Community, so you can search for that and join that if you're on Facebook. Uh, Instagram is at uh, UFO Wave Game. So uh, any, of, any of those ways, uh, you'll be able to get in touch. And um, in the run-up to launch, I'm going to be releasing lots of advertising and links to the Kickstarter, etc. cetera. Uh, we do have some early bird rewards for initial backers as well, uh, some discounted uh, rewards. So um, if you check out the game and like the look of it and you want to buy it for either yourself uh, or a, a friend, family as a gift, uh, then the, the early backers of the game are going to get a reduced discounted price. Um, I'm doing all I can really with it. I... It's never been a money-making exercise uh, for me. I just want to get it out there into the wider world. Uh, I just I went into it with the premise of making a a game that was an accurate portrayal of the real UFO subject, uh, but in a kind of fun, accessible way. I believe I've accomplished that, and now it's just over to the uh, the gaming and the UFO communities. So we'll wait and see what happens. Fingers crossed for you, Dave. I've got every confidence that it's going to take yes. off. Definitely. I've seen your passion the last time we spoke and the passion again this time. And it's definitely that alone should make yes. it a success. So, yeah. And, and both wish you both success with ISA and the game. So sounds yeah. like great stuff is on the horizon for both. Fingers of you. crossed. Absolutely. Fingers crossed on definitely. all fronts. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you for having us. Yes. Yeah. Very welcome. Uh, thanks for coming on. All the, the listeners, you can find the links to the magazine, to ISA, to UFO Wave. In the show notes, we put all the links there so you can find me, guys. And uh, 
find out more information. So yeah, thanks guys for coming on. It's been a it's been great chatting oh, to cool. you. Thank you. I mean, no like Greg said, good luck with with everything, and I think I'm sure it's it's gonna succeed. Pursuit of the paranormal with Ash and Greg.